0: Welcome to the World Architecture Festival podcast. This series features recordings from the annual festival where architects and commentators discuss the latest challenges and innovations in the industry. Make sure you subscribe to always receive the latest episode and also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at worldarchfest.
1: Sebalius, all afternoon, I suspect. Uh, But what we're here for uh, is to hear Sir Peter Cook talking about a subject which is not unrelated to Sibelius. Last year, some of you may remember, he spoke about heroes. And our musical accompaniment there was a a sort of, um, I think, him and me trying to uh, uh, sing our way through uh, Brunhilde's uh, awakening scene. Um, This time, we thought we'd have the proper thing. But when Peter spoke about heroes, we walked over a rainbow of words, images, and ideas, to a virtual Valhalla. And then, as so often when you get close to Valhalla, some noisy woman rode her horse into a fire, and the flames rose so high that the hall burned too. Today, our new theme refers to nature, shade, light, darkness and reflection, pine forests, moose, the living kind rather than the chocolate kind. Uh, lakes, fjords and smorgasbord as well as some quite agreeable cities and fine architecture. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Peter is going to tell us about Nutters of the North and the music, this is The Bard by uh, Sebelius from Finland, of course, sets the mood. Peter.
0: Hello, well I'm going to cover a lot of stuff in a very short time uh, whether the company will continue or not, I don't know. Um, for the benefit of those of you who are not Uh, familiar with the term nutters is a good old English uh, garbled word that's probably a little bit uh, unfashionable now but uh, because we're not supposed to consider that anybody is a nutter even if they are meant a sort of slightly odd oddball let's put it politely between oddball and lunatic Um, but what I'm really of course talking about is nutters in terms of the the, their relationship maybe to the rather boring mainstream of architecture Uh, Now, you know, I'm very well aware from all of the people around me that the preferred territory of going to see architecture is the Mediterranean or somewhere exotic. I'm also aware of the fact that there are many of you here who are very exotic people coming in from South America, Latin America, coming in from Australia, which isn't exotic, but but is in a funny way. But now you're you're on the edge of the north, and so, that's what I want to talk about. Also, I have to say that my instincts are always a sort of, j- that my, at least on my father's side of the family, uh, I am pretty sure that we were the part of England that was settled, if you look at the village names, settled by naughty Vikings coming and doing naughty things. Well, it's, and of course the north is where it's spooky. Very spooky, that's the music I chose to the beginning because it is inherently spooky, though it is the bard, the the teller of tales. And staved churches, very spooky indeed, Uh, despite them using sort of simple materials, the sort of materials we're now fashionably talking about. Nonetheless, there was something very weird going on and they were able to do really really non-primitive, very atmospheric, very kind of almost sinister buildings. And yet, One suspects, and I'm not original in in talking about this, that there was some mysterious connection going across that part of the world that looks very, very weird when you take a flight from Northern Europe to to the Far East. What the hell was up there? What might have been up there? And now with the desperate global warming, because the the reinvigorating the Constitution about the Northwest Passage, what about the Northeast Passage? What about the trekking territories above the Silk Road? What was going up There's some certainly some very, very weird stuff. Stuff where there's a bit of an influence coming up from the sort of Turkestans or somewhere. And then the old Norwegian log cabin finding its way into the northern Russian stuff. But since I'm lucky enough to be judging the color section, the end of the week, uh, of course, one looks also for that weird situation where color is actually an instinctive recourse in places that are often very gray. In the, in, the, in the winter that I spent in Oslo, until the snow came, people got more and more depressed, more and more alcoholic, became more and more gray. And what do you see in, in places like Norway and Sweden? When the sun comes out, when there's an excuse for it, the colored sun blinds come down, they strip off, and they, they, they smile. So color and light is something to do with smiling. But I also experienced in, in, in Norway that with their independence of the country, they rediscovered what they called, or they discovered or invented, what they called the dragon style. If, uh, if my instinct is correct, and that somehow my progenitors were the product of these Vikings who came across to the east of England and then eventually to Normandy and did very naughty things. They also did very creative things. They were amazing characters. They were amazing inventors. And come on to that. So in the mixture of, of dragon style, which is invention, and the sort of self-conscious mannerism, uh, one of the things that comes through is still, to use my favorite word, this spooky condition. I'm reminding you that those of you who come from far and wide, that Amsterdam is just the beginning of the system, the system that the Hanseatic League meant, that that many of the ideas that I think invigorate the architecture of the countries around the the North Sea coast and the Baltic, of which I come from one, um, were really part of ideas being brought across this water, this water which is often extremely rough. My first ever seasickness was trying to get from Newcastle to Bergen and not enjoying it very much and even a nasty crossing at the Atlantic a year or so later wasn't anything nearly as bad. These guys did it somehow, and in the process, they had amazing inventions of, of, of ships. Now, these, these boats here in the pictures look rather calm, they're nice, nice, nice sailing barges, but in fact, they were practical. They were part of this whole business, an incredibly clever rigging that reminds me of even the most obtuse sort of Bartlett construction project in second year, and the, that even the contemporary architects. Now, particularly the Norwegians, have picked up on the, on the timber tradition. Not only am I saying that timber is fashionable, but wrought timber, molded timber, th- things where you do very funny things with timber. And it's no, no surprise to find that a lot of the raunchy old Nordic buildings were, were actually constructed by guys using timber that year for that building, maybe six months or a year later, for building ships, they were the same guys. The ships found themselves to be buildings. All the buildings found themselves to be ships. A favorite example of mine is, is, is the work of Helen and Hardin Stavanger, and We see that not only were they canny enough to pick up on, on, on the uh, detritus of the oil industry for making things in, in, in for children, but also their use of timbers beyond the poetic. Those of you lucky enough to see what they did in v and about four or five years ago, and, and also this business of using the high technology of, of manipulating as-found timber together with wrought timber. And so those Nordic waterside cities are very picturesque if you take a certain kind of photograph. They're picturesque, but the, the components of them a mixture of of, of skyline that is picturesque, and perhaps there's a very good reason why skyline has to be picturesque, because you do, not in these nice photos here, but many days are grey and dull and a bit of profile in the sky. My God, that's like heaven. And and of course, Norway being a rich country, there's a little aside where we notice that that a relatively small town is able to afford an extremely sophisticated road system. So each of us has our own take, each city has its own take on the basic thing of bringing stuff across this difficult water, hauling it up the side, bringing it into the building. Now they're mostly, in most of these cities, smarty, park, smarty pants flats or offices, but the business of actually working them, I think, is the thing I want to... You know, we've had centuries of lifting and pulling, our, our most... Inventive architecture, let's think of British high tech, is to do with wanting to be seen to be lifting and pulling and tugging and hauling and dragging. and, and it's, it's a physical thing and, and I, I, we have centuries of inventive bridges, but in fact, some of the intriguing ones have been done in very recent years, so this inventive tradition is there. Let's think, Let's. I mean, just to boil it down, a lot of the inventions a funny invention, something something for looking at things and dangling something and listening and peeking. Uh, the Polish one, I had to introduce a bit of Polish, except I couldn't uh, resist a Polish invention that's to do with Polish. Get it? <laughs> Sorry for anyone who's Polish here. Yeah. Couldn't help that one. Um, and Swedish, so Swe- Swedes are zipping and flying, and Dutch, of course, are looking at other ships and dealing with the water. That's that's a fairly number. Ha! What were the English doing? Well, I'm jumping to my no Peacock lectures. Uh, sufficient without a bit of Heath Robinson. Heath Robinson was the inventor who never really invented anything very sensible. And as I've said many times before, somebody is going to do a PhD thesis on the subject of the connection between William. Uh, Heath Robinson and the British high-tech movement. I mean, it's such an obvious one to do. No? Any takers? No. I mean, there, there's, a, there's an invention there for... I'm not quite sure what it is. The one on the, the, one on the right is a war, uh, Second World War one for catching bombs as they fall. Uh, the next one is for looking for Easter eggs uh, on the top of a cliff and the right-hand one is for making a particular kind of cheese. It says, by the Gruyere method. Daft, okay, but not quite so daft, and, and still sticking with the second world more, were the inventions of, of, of Barnes-Wallace, where the Wellington bomber, a geodetic structure, could have a rocket shot right through it, and the thing could still keep, keep flying amazingly. And then similar groups of people uh, involved in bombs that would bounce. So there's this old what, old British boffin tradition, which is, I think, essentially something coming out of that, that, that business of dealing with funny situations and hauling and puff, pushing and using bits of string and God and what, And, of course, sometimes brought to physical reality in very, very tough, difficult buildings. Now these buildings have a certain kind of not only a patina, there was the period when they were being used for pirate radio stations, and it is no surprise to find that the oil rig tradition really rests upon the wartime fort tradition. Uh, and on the bottom right, I think not in the UK, I can't remember quite where, somebody has even made it quite a pretty thing. But they stand as a, as a reminder of extreme, extreme technical prowess in the, f- in the face of the difficulties of the water, but centuries of tough, inventive buildings really intrigued me. In, in Gothenburg, some of the best, but Gothenburg was rather late in its Jugendstil, but nonetheless had, had by that time had the money to really do it rather well and very toughly. Or Now, if you have an Englishman of a certain age coming to talk about something and there's a potential pun uh, I'm, I apologize for it, but I couldn't, I couldn't, and I put this one together this morning, lying in bed. I thought, I've got to put in last sonk. That'll sonk it to them. Sorry, guys. But he was one of the toughest of the tough. A real wonderful toughie. Uh, centuries then of diving for shelter in the sometimes unpleasant weather, such as that which we've got outside today, uh, whether, it's out, whether it's Alba Alto or whether it's some commercial guy in Oslo, whether it's somebody in Tallinn or, or, or in Riga. The business of coming out of the weather was something surely to celebrate. And the business, again, various versions of hauling the, the, the place where you haul, look at that Tallinn example, a sweetie, sweetie, sweetie building, but there's a the thing doing the job, nonetheless. Uh, I couldn't resist it myself sometimes of of going to somewhere like Oslo and wanting to do a canal that starts running inside a building. And some really zonking weirdo. I haven't been to Gdansk, so this is strictly internet stuff. But look at that naughty boy. What the hell is he up to? He's hauling stuff there. He's hauling it there. He's hauling it. Bloody hell. So... There we go, even sort of stupid little places like Wismar. And and, and Riga, a a recent architect in Riga, don't know who it was, can't resist trying to mimic this whole tradition. Funny story about Orlesund. Ålesund burnt to the ground in 1900 or 1904, I can't remember which, And, and it so happened the German Kaiser had a summer house behind and stuck a whole lot of money. And in four years... They rebuilt the whole town in the Jugendstil method, in the Jugendstil mannerism. And I wonder about the parallels between then and now. So, right young things all over the north of Europe, there's something going on in all this, and and there's cash. Let's go up there and do it. The job was finished in four years. Where did they go? Some married local fisher folk, some headed down to the next place where there's some action and money called called, um, Gothenburg. It's no different from what people do now when they say, hey, let's go to the Middle East because there's some jobs there. No, no, let's go to China, some more. It it moves quicker. But I'm sure those guys were canny enough because you look at the buildings and you see the mannerisms literally going down the coast. The Scots have their own kind of duh, but again, looking for the light. My, my hunch on these sorts of buildings is that they—you know—it gets pretty grim, despite it being a nice a nice place, and you need something in the light there. On the other hand, particularly in Denmark, there is a certain recourse when the weather is clement for sweetness. A, you can smell almost a Nordic summer house, as opposed to a German summer house or an English summer house, or French summer house. There's some kind of strange, it's, it's got that uh, film, Smiles of Summer Night, was, was full of that kind of thing. And even architects who do not particularly come from there find themselves wanting to try to be sweet and drifty. Renzo doesn't quite bring it off in Oslo. The locals do it better. And I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued by Mandrup's recent project, which was in the Biennale, and of course, the, the I forget the name the guy, but the guy uh, who did the, the drifting object in the coast of Copenhagen was a great inspiration, as a matter of fact, to many many students. This notion of the the, the, the lighter, driftier kind of Nordic architecture. And of course, there's escape. In fact, the top left uh, one is in Whitstable, Kent, in England. The top right, somewhere in Sweden. The bottom right, somewhere, somewhere, I can't remember what it was. And the interesting, the bottom left, it's still a marketable product. The sweet Nordic escape, or the sweet, sweet North European escape house, is now available for so many euros. Well, I think my favorite entrance of all time is this one uh, in the center of Copenhagen. And is it not logical that a naughty city like Copenhagen should have a naughty doorway? The naughtiest of the naughty. I won't try to describe it. You have to use your own uh, knowledge of these things. <laughs> and Copenhagen, by comparison, what it was like some years ago, it's rocking. Not just the... Not just not well, that's the big rock, but, but generally it rocks. And, and, and to remind that at some points in the past it was rocking before. But really, of course, the most spooky and intriguing stuff was going on way, way, way back in Moscow. And I still think that that Lodovsky object, that I don't think it was ever built, imagine that haunting a grey sky somewhere in... November or February. Imagine that. That has that that hauntingness that I think comes from the north. In addition to the working parts stuff that I was referring to on the coast, and it's no. I think it's no surprise that the, the clever Swedes picked up on that stuff. And look how brilliantly they were doing it. Already, that building on the on the right there is nearly is is eighty nine years old. And look at how well it's done. Look at. I mean, if, if that was you know, done down the street now, we'd, we'd cross the road to look at it and say, hey, that's been rather well done. We And something was lost, certainly in Sweden, after 1930. Well, the English like doing funny things as well, but they generally enjoy most, what I call, with, with, with great respect, pissing about, putting houses in silly places, doing gates to nothing, towers that nearly are going to fall down, and and odd things appearing behind the trees, most of them phallic. And I, of course, remind you that there are even in your own country, if there's any Dutch people here, um, that you have some, some nutters in the most reasonable and prosaic city of Rotterdam, even. But the other thing to remember, that a lot of these places are bloody cold and that the building, and the entering the building, as I repeat, becomes a very special and necessary event. If you go to Oslo, we get other, other preoccupations, again, back to slightly naughty things, that, that uh, one of the Nordic preoccupations, I think, is snuggling up, and bodies become very important, and, and here in, in Gustav Wiglund's park, Uh, They are certainly snuggling up, there are enormous numbers of people snuggling up to each other as they climb up this this strange path. I'm told by the locals that Gustav is in fact the much more open, much more successful of two brothers. But what was his quieter, lesser known brother doing? Building a very weird building that you almost go past with, you think it's probably an electricity substation or or something. it is in fact a private museum of Emanuel Wieglem's work. You have to bend to go in the, in the door, so it's all very theatrical and contrived. And you come in, and, and, and at first you don't see the, the interior as light as that. It's, it's, you have to, your eyes have to have to And what do you get on the wall? More writhing bodies. And then we go to another apparently prosaic, normal, reasonable city, and of course, the Botzer is, is the thing that, that contradicts the the reasonableness of the rest of Bremen, and what do you find in the detail of Botzer Bloody bodies again. I mean, these North—you have to w- w- watch. Any of you who are not from the North, watch the people from the North, because they they, they they you know—they're doing lots of stuff in the day, and it's all cold. But actually, then the bodies—the bodies take over, huh? Well, when they're, not do- when they're doing more circumspect things, such as, in, as with plenty of oil money, etc., the Norwegians have been able to, they've been able to farm out to young, interesting architects the absurdity of somewhere funny to stop when you're on one of those long, long highways into the nowhere. And that is certainly one way of, of dealing with a situation that has very few people, amazing landscapes, long roads when they're not turning themselves into ferries, and some rather bright and slightly spooky architects. In Finland, my observation of recent architecture is that they seem to enjoy scooping and slithering. And in Sweden, particularly Taman uh, Vidgard, who I first remember meeting, during them at one of these events, um, have gone for color. Again, I think, and, and, and so has a very successful big architect's office um, called Vingar, that, that they have picked up on that same thing as when you're in a dark gray place, how about color? That's something that Ava that just picked up on a few minutes ago, how about color? How about doing it full on, so that, and in fact, when you see the the, um, uh, the Malmo uh, museum, it works very well in a, a predominantly red brick town. I mean, it's not it's not full on, but it's it's part of of, of this, this instinct. So Karl Pimmelblau even who came up from Vienna many years ago, probably I think about twenty. Four years ago uh, to build in Groningen did their first and probably only ship built building, a building built entirely in, from shipbuilders and Our son was about four years old, and I still somewhere have an old piece of movie that we took where you hear all you hear is this child running in a resounding tin box it 's a wonderful thing they, they i don 't think. The boys did another tin box building, but when you're on the water, do as the water. It's interesting. And, and a figure, probably grossly unfashionable now, dead, of course, uh, and, and probably to be rediscovered, Ralph Erskine, who not only did stuff by the water, that was, again, trying to be of the water, but actually ran his office from a barge in the water. So we can find even in, in this very sensible country that we're in now, some essences of nutters, or rather str- straightforward and intelligent people playing the nutter. That's an interesting cari- category. And myself, I know Peacock Becky would be sufficient without a couple of recent drawings of my own, of a project which is in part looking again at that tradition of the, the hauling, the sailing, the drifting. The Nordic places have charm. That's another aspect. Of course, these, both of these, on the Isle of Mull or in Stockholm, taken on beautiful, beautiful days, not the days that I've been alluding to with the greyness. But they can have a certain picturesque charm Whether it can compete with all your favorite Mediterranean places or Indian places, I leave to a further conversation. And finally, the most nutty, and most intelligent and most useful nutty stuff is here in this city, the work of de Klerk. Social housing for the poor, wonderfully done and nutty as a fruitcake.
1: <laughs> Peter, well thank you for <clears throat> I, I'm 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 intrigued by these terms that you use, which are very graphic and, 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 and actually bring out the the imagery, such as the snuggling up of the figures in the park. Do you think that there's something about you know what, the cold and the action on the body. It's not just the body, but it's the, the body dealing with cold, either by snuggling up to someone else or diving into a doorway.
0: Probably. I mean, that's a, that's a that's a very nice and succinct uh, summary. I mean, I don't know. I don't. Uh, none, you know, one one of the things is none of this is provable. Hmm. Uh, a few sort of funny things that you sort of start to wonder, which is whether the guys who are working on all and bribed the odd fishermen to take them ac- across to Glasgow and have a look at stuff. Mm. You know, which... Now we are, we are so well served by everything that you can't... That everything is available. Mm. But then you had to struggle. You know, one copy of Studio Magazine would have been precious and probably handed to 500 different people. I don't know. Whereas now you just go, there and there it is, like I've been doing collecting and stuff. But... I think that what does interest me always is like this event here is what might be loosely called a networking event, and there are all sorts of overlays. You sit, to, you sit listening you say, oh my god, I didn't know she was interested in that as well. Mm. And, and there's interchange. Then it was harder, and you probably had to, you know, this issue that came up in Jeanne Gang's talk about, you know, the, the real interface with people. Uh, it would have happened anyhow those those thirty or forty architects who found themselves somewhere up the coast in Norway mm. uh, had to get to know Fisher folk one way or t'other you know even if it 's a couple of drinks and, and, and they weren 't detached weird but there 's also I think this other thing of um, I remember years, ago, all this conversation really started years ago when Daniel Wolf was alive and he was talking about the fact that he, as a Czech, or a Moravian or whatever the hell he was, he, he was part of a valley culture and he said all the things that we were influenced by in Prague were coming up and down the valleys. And you see that with the people, you know, Otto Wagner employed in his office in Vienna, they were all from somewhere up, up and down different valleys. And I said, ha, huh, if you're a valley person, I'm a North Sea person. Mm. Because all the, all the things that really interest me, and, and I think relate to high tech, archogram, whatever, came from this a mixture of the Second World War boffin, mm. boffin meaning a sort of funny inventor mm. type of person, and these strange things that you can do with bits and pieces, and, and it works. The Meccano set, psychology, with a bit of funny string. And, and you know, how do you, uh, people mending boats and sitting under cars that should have broken. The whole thing is all wrapped into survival. Yes. In the face of r- relatively unpleasant, but usable. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's finding
1: ways of reusing things that should not, well, they were not intended for that use originally. And I guess that that in quite a lot of those rigging things, there's a hell of a lot of improvisation that, you know, you wouldn't design a rigging like that, but that's how it works. And once it works and it seems to get you across the North Sea or whatever, then you keep going with
0: it. It ends up as a Reliant Controls building or hell. (laughs) 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 Kind of. I mean, they would never admit to it. In fact, it's the same thinking. On the other hand, then, there's the old sort of let's dig in because it's bloody cold thing. Mm. So that intrigues one towards, yes, sure, there are elaborate, uh, you can steal Olivo entrances in other places, mm. but as you get further north, it becomes more and more kind of really a
1: yeah. great thing to get inside and celebrate that. Yeah, and and I think the saved churches fit in that as well. You know, they are very spooky objects. You know, they're 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 you know not just one but several Hansel and Gretel witches, you know, cottages piled on top of each other. If if we read them in a, in a rather literal sense. But then once you're in them, they are actually doing something, they're modifying the environment in a particular way. They, they take you, not quite out of the north, but they give you a different twist on what the northern light and the northern cold...
0: And like. the second Wieglen guy, I think, mm. sort of was trying to recreate that in, in the yeah. manner of his own painting. So he didn't have the, the wood doing all that stuff, mm. but he actually recreated the, That you, you get inside this dark place, yeah, and then you gradually start seeing strange things. Now, we are trained to make our... Ava was talking about lighting. We are trained to make our spaces make their statement as soon as you're there. And I've always been bored and irritated by the extension of full frontality, meaning you see what you get. There you are, you go in, there it is. Mm. Thank you, Mm. done. Mm. Modernism. Whereas this is, is sort of discovery by sort of... <laughs> it, 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 it's. I, I think I keep over, and I know I'm very bad at it, using the word spooky. Mm. Because I cannot think of any other word that combines the atmospheric, the psychologic, and a certain condition of the revelation of space. I guess Gothic, we could discuss in, in, in that line. Then we could discuss, you know, Northern Gothic as opposed to Southern it? Gothic. We're off into another... <laughs> thing. And I'm no historian. I mean, I get all my facts wrong. <laughs> Not well, deliberately, but nearly.
1: What I, think, what I think you do bring out, though, talking about this and thinking also of what we discussed last year, heroes, is that you bring an intuitive reading to it. You know, the, 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 the North Sea and the Baltic as a sort of nexus of, mm. you know, of a playground in some ways. Mm. A playground with some dangers attached to it, like it's quite cold if you fall in. Um, but it, it, it allows certain things to, um, uh, you know, to transmit in a particular way, and I'm reminded of a Hemingway short story where you know the character comes back and says, "Well, you know, I'm, I, I, I've, I'm back in the same place, but I've changed because I've traveled. Mm-hmm. And I think the sailors who went across the North Sea, you know, whether it was Viking era or well into the nineteenth century, before it became possible to predict weather and you know cold and things like that. Uh, they were the same people who had left Hull and got to Bergen or wherever they were going, but they had achieved something simply by that transit. By that and
0: then, transit. like any other, any, any other sort of regional analysis, you see you know, to what extent is, is the house with the gable mm. like that in Leith mm. slightly different from one mm. in Bergen, not as different as you would expect. Mm. Uh, and that Maybe you know it was the same guy. Well, it can't have been exactly the same guy, but maybe it was because I'm sure that there were people hitching lifts or mm. Just buying their money. way on a boat because yeah. it's and an, an, an a bloke you know maybe there's you know Otto who's very good at doing a certain kind of porthole window, mm. run out of jobs in X, gets on a boat to where there's a, there are people wanting mm. porthole windows, etc. Mm. You know it was if it was happening. In, in, in the valleys of, of Austria and, mm. and middle Europe. Then it was happening on the waterways. Mm. Mm. That is my basic, very simple...
1: I, 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 I think we, we can also take a town like Gothenburg, which, as you say, was you know, relatively late. It was built mainly by Dutch engineers. The Swedes or Norwegians or, or even Danes, whoever you know, you want to, whatever you want to call the people who are inhabiting that piece of land, had tried five times to build a West Coast city In that in that basic region, and then in the early 17th century, no doubt people who had been working here on how you build an aquatic city went up north and built. Guys,
0: there's a job up there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And they
1: built, and and, and, you know, by the person who was one of the most powerful kings in Europe at the time, Gustavus Adolphus, and they made the city. And they
0: special little detail about Gothenburg, which is when the the canals go round, sort of like that, and the the guys working. At the time building the blocks around later in, in the end of 19th century they they put very interesting, I hadn't got a slide of it, but they haven't they put very good corners. Again, back to my mm. notion that in a dark place you need to see silhouettes. Mm. You know, and, and they put a different silhouette on each corner so you could you could walk along there and even in the almost thick as fog, say, ah, I've nearly got to there. Mm. Mm. I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't accidental. I'm yeah, I, sure I, it I was think
1: absolutely right, because the thing that strikes me about the north, and it's pointed out by the architect Gordon Benson, British architect, um, who comes from Glasgow, that because you get nearly horizontal light, and of course the further north you go, the more close to horizontal it can get, you show up the detail, those, even those really fine reliefs of Larsson's doorways in Helsinki, mm. You don't need very much to throw quite a shadow to bring it out that relief. Yeah. And of course it changes on the year because you know, in the summer you don't get very much shadow or not in the same way. Yeah. So
0: it, I think, causes... All these things come together. Mm. And I'm not sure, looking at the, you know, the, the, um, the, the Finnish scoops or the fun and games in Copenhagen, whether the contemporary arts quite caught it I mean, I'm waiting, not for revivalists, but somehow uh, an architecture that is able to catch some of those tricks, but mm. imagine those tricks done on the computer or yeah. with, with computer-cut materials or you know, grown material, imagine, imagine what you could do with spooky Nordic stuff mm. with the technologies that we have today.
1: Yeah, uh, but you'd need the sensibility to do it, yeah, it, would, it would, to, to,
0: to, in a way, de- internationalise and, and look back at the light.
1: Yes, yeah. And I mean, the the, the Finnish scoop scoop thing is is also to some extent uh, uh, going into the earth. I mean, there's a church in Finland, I think, from the 1950s. And I'm afraid I can't remember the name of the architect, which really is going into uh, you know an underground space with a stone roof, which isn't really vaulted, but it's that.
0: Added to added to things that you can do with wood, which I think nearly everybody, you know, because timber has returned as such a fashionable—I will mm. use that word deliberately—fashionable mm. material. That that now people are rediscovering that you know it doesn't have to just mm. do that. Mm. And um, but the Stave Church guys were still ahead of the game. Mm. That's the scary one. Those guys were still ahead of the game.
1: Yeah. It's interesting because because you know, you get this particularly I suppose it starts in Sweden, which was in nineteen hundred the largest and richest of the Nordic nations. Um, you get this um, look towards modernity, which Aspen captures. But Aspen could also do a bloody good neoclassical building mm. when he turned his mind to it. And he didn't you know unlike some architects and I'm thinking of Alto, who did some pretty competent neoclassical buildings. I mean his um, Communist Party headquarters in Yvinskala is an amazing, very simple space. Um, but then he went into whatever we know him for a sort of organic architecture, where uh, you know Asplund was doing both. You know the two, either you know all the way through his life, or much.
0: I, f- I found that in the days when I was taking student groups up mm. here, there the next place that, that often Asplund caused more conversation. Mm. than Alto, partly because Alto is so photogenic and is available. Mm. You know, every, every architecture student of a certain period knew about Alto. Mm. The other thing is that if you hear too much about something mm. as a student, you, you tend to go and look at it and say, oh, well, it's yeah. not quite as big. And then it, you, you feel a sense of discovery, mm. Mm. even if it's actually already known. So now we're getting into the problem that something like Leverance is almost overpublished. Yes. Because he was underpublished. Yeah. So that's another thing which I think uh, that, uh, uh, one observes, which is the looking at, uh, at stuff done by people you have no idea who the hell they are, nor mm. necessarily can find out. Mm. It's intriguing, because you have to go back to first principles of observation. What was it trying to do? Was it doing it well? Did, did the character doing it have wit? Yes. Yeah. Uh, was that person even slightly nutty? Or well, was that nuttiness accepted by, you know, a few drinking friends?
1: <laughs> well, the, 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 the suburbs of, of Stockholm, like Jörsholm and, and, and Lidingö, Jörsholm has you know, the Aspen Villa, um, uh, you know, the slightly neoclassical one. But they all have, a lot of them were spec-built by people who picked up the elements that were nutty and stuck them
0: onto quite ordinary houses. Just a quick quick house count. How many people have seen the de Klerk buildings? And how many have not? <laughs> that is shocking.
1: But they're, they're, they're that what, is shocking. Probably the 10 minutes walk from the here. The of
0: the of the north is yeah. a couple of miles down yeah. the street. Here. And, and, and you, you, I
1: think one of the things for me about de Klerk is that it somewhere floats between a real anthropomorphism, you know, that you're reading faces, slightly strange faces into these buildings, and, and the level of abstraction. You know, it doesn't go fully into anthropomorphism light, like someone um, like uh, the Hungarian architect, um, uh, Imre Makovec. Oh,
0: no, 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 no. Exactly. no we're near. Yeah, exactly. We're near. It's, still, yeah. it's still Dutch and pragmatic. Exactly. Like, yeah. it, does, it does some amazing things. I mean, it, it, it's quirky as hell and gets more quirky mm. from mm. the earlier stuff to later. Mm. But it's still incredibly usable. Yeah. Absolutely, incredibly normal, normal, usable. Yeah, uh, and I think I think all those hands that went up that, that haven't seen it—it's even worth skipping skipping a bit of conference and spend an hour and going and looking at it. Well, I couldn't I couldn't uh, possibly my, comment that's on my, that. But... That's my <laughs> comment from the uh, promoters of whatever it might be, architecture. But, but I'm glad I'm glad you
1: mentioned Leverance, because for me, of all the you know 20th-century Nordic architects apart from possibly the Russians who are doing something different, he is the nuttiest of the nutters. Mm,
0: but, but subtly nutty. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, but, 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 but they're layers of nuttiness. Yeah. You know, you could...
0: and, and sadly, I didn't show any leverance in, yeah, in, yeah. in the
1: chat. Yeah. Never mind. Good. Well, Peter, thank you very much for telling us about nutters of the north. I mean, you're hearing some... <clears throat> <laughs> well, Hearing some more music by uh, Sibelius, the Finlandia Overture, which at one level is one of the most extraordinary celebrations of a particular country, but also some of the nuttiest music I know, I think, in its it's counter rhythms. So, again, thank you, Peter, very much for that. And we will be back here at two o'clock with um, Annie Senimaki, who is a deputy mayor of Helsinki. But I think not a nutter.